Hello and welcome to my podcast. My name is Alan Manson and I'm here to speak about spirit walking with Jesus and what the Bible says about this and its topics that relate to the spiritual aspects of the Christian's journey through life. In today's episode, we'll be looking at the gospel message, but from a very different perspective from that which is often preached in the churches. Most Christians will be familiar with the basic message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. However, most preachers overlook, willfully ignore or reject the conditions that Jesus Christ has stated in the scriptures that are essential for salvation. Sadly, most Christians are aware of this fact and therefore their eternal life with Christ is in peril because they have, quote, not all obeyed the gospel, as stated by the Apostle Paul in Romans 10.16. Before we commence today's message, this podcast contains scripture verses from the King James Bible that, when I read them out, I occasionally add in words of my own that aim to clarify what the scriptures refer to from studies I have undertaken. I therefore expect that those listening will replay the message and look up the scripture references provided to determine if what I say is true or not. I welcome any feedback you may have about this or anything else stated in this message. If you have listened to the previous episode, you all have appreciated that the bad news associated with the gospel is that it is easy for people, including Christians, to be tricked by Satan and his ministers in the pulpits into believing a false gospel that is unable to save a soul from spending eternity in hell. So today we are going to look at some of the many conditions that Christians must meet if they are to attain the basic requirements for entry into heaven, either at their death or in the rapture. To emphasise this point a little more, the Apostle Paul says that his gospel that he termed my gospel is the only gospel that can save a soul from hell. This is because Paul said, quote from Romans 2 verse 16, In the day of judgment, when God shall judge the secrets of Christian men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. Then Paul says from Romans 10:16. But they, meaning Christians throughout the ages, have not all obeyed the one true gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? I'm guessing that most of those who listen to this message will react in much the same way as the Jews did in Isaiah's day, meaning they didn't believe what the scriptures said to them and preferred to remain in doubt about it all. Therefore, what is presented today is an extremely important aspect of the Apostle Paul's Gospel that contains the conditions associated with the Gospel that enable eternal life to be achieved if obeyed. To illustrate this point, as any commercial contract is agreed to and signed by consenting parties who hope to benefit from it, so God in the New Covenant agrees to give every Christian eternal life if he or she meets his conditions that are plainly written in the Scriptures. It is the aim of this podcast to highlight these conditions for your spiritual welfare. But before we start, let me paint this picture in your mind. 
Once any commercial contract is signed between two consenting parties, it requires all beneficiaries to be fully aware of the terms and conditions that the contract imposes upon them prior to signing. Once the contract is signed, it, is, it then comes into force. Both parties then have to honour their obligations that have been clearly stated in the contract so that the purposes of the contract can be implemented. Contracts also have default clauses whereby if one party fails to fulfil its obligations, the contract then becomes void, meaning it is no longer valid, and usually some form of compensation may be payable to the other party. In this context, it is therefore Satan's desire to prevent Christians from honouring their obligations under the new covenant and thereby see them spending eternity in hell because of their default on one or more of the covenant's many default clauses. What follows are two of many default clauses that Christians need to be aware of if they value their salvation. So from John chapter 3 verse 5, Jesus answered by saying, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And another from Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. These are very clear warnings from the scriptures. Now, in regards to salvation, God makes many promises in the New Testament to Christians that he says he will honour. To demonstrate this claim using two examples, that he covenants to not only save a Christian's soul from spending eternity in hell, but he says that he will save them from their enemies in this life also. So the first scripture is from Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 saying wherefore he meaning Jesus is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. And for the second one Jesus said for protecting them from their enemies my father which gave them to me meaning Jesus is greater than all and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. That's from John chapter 10, verse 29. Therefore, every Christian represents the other party in this personal contract or covenant mentioned by Jesus in Hebrews 12, verse 24, between us and God. To obtain the foregoing and many other precious promises of God, the four Gospels contain numerous conditions spoken by Jesus that Christians must abide by for them to obtain all the promises of God. On the other hand, it is Satan's plan to prevent every Christian from becoming aware of the conditions or of the obligations God requires each Christian to comply with, and instead he wants to bring dishonour and offence to the name of God's dear Son, Jesus Christ, and thereby refuse to bring the required fruit unto God. For such offensive behaviour being witnessed by God in Christians' abuse of God's grace and mercy, this behaviour will see them eventually joining Satan in hell throughout eternity. So two warnings in Scripture about this fate follow where the Apostle Paul says 
in Galatians chapter 2, verse 21, I do not frustrate the grace of God. And then the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12, verse 15, Looking diligently, lest any Christian man fail of the grace of God, and thereby many Christians be defiled by Satan and his false preachers. And then in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 28 to 31, it says, He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under the mouth of two or three witnesses. Of how much sore a punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy, who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done so despite unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That's Hebrews 10, verses 28 to 31. So let us now look at the basic requirements for salvation. There are many varieties of the gospel of Jesus Christ which form the basis of the Paul's gospel being preached in the churches today. These gospels um, provide an entryway into God's kingdom. However, God requires much more than simply believing on the name of Jesus Christ to be saved for uh, throughout eternity. Here is an example of a statement that requires belief only in the name of Christ, which many false preachers have cherry-picked from the Bible in their promotion of presenting an easy way to God and heaven. So from John chapter 20, verse 31, it says, But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have eternal life through his name. Notice the phrase, might have eternal life through his name. This word might indicates there is more to obtaining eternal life than simply believing in Jesus Christ. Then there is the statement that effectively says if Christians simply believe in Jesus Christ throughout their Christian lifetime, then their basic level of faith is no better than that of the devils who have no salvation. So from James chapter 2, verse 19, it says, Thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble, because they know they have no salvation, even though they believe at the same level as most Christians do. So it's been my view for some time that once the new Christian has at least read the Bible from cover to cover, that this gives God the chance to reveal some of the many conditions contained within the Bible that require every Christian to come to terms with for salvation to be obtained. If Christians fail to meet their obligations under this contract or new covenant, then God is under no requirement to meet his obligations to save them from hell, as stated in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24, which says, And to Jesus, the mediator between God and every Christian of the new covenant. Therefore, it is my conviction that the water baptism ceremony 
equates to the signing of the new covenant contract between God and the individual Christian. In this, the new Christian indicates that he or she will meet his or her respective obligations written in the Bible that will then allow God to fulfil his obligations in relation to salvation. Naturally, if Satan can have a Christian effectively sign the contract without knowing or being able to meet the obligations contained within it, this makes it hard for God to change the situation if the Christian is no longer studying his Bible to become approved unto God, as stated in 2 Timothy 2 verse 15. So now we'll look at the Bible's stated conditions that are necessary for salvation. The first uh, section here is Paul's gospel demands that the new birth spoken by Jesus in John chapter 3 verses 3 to 8 is an essential requirement for entry into God's kingdom. This transformation from the worldly minded individual who responds to Satan's devices into becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ occurs at the new birth or of being born again as Jesus stated in John 3 verses 3 to 7. In this, Jesus answered Nicodemus by saying, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of the water of the word, as mentioned in Ephesians 5 verse 26, and of the spirit baptism, referred to in John 1 verse 33, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel, or meaning don't be surprised, that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. So that's from John 3 verses 5 to 7. The second part here is Christians must receive their new heart and their new spirit from God at their new birth. Having these spirit or new spiritual qualities indicates that such a Christian has become a new creature in Christ. And in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, Paul says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. On the other side of the coin is this statement from Paul also, where he says, Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ... He is none of his. Well, this, this is Romans 8 verse 9, which effectively means that the Christian has no salvation if they do not have the Spirit of Christ. The third part here is that every Christian who has become a disciple of Jesus Christ must also comply with the requirements for entry into heaven. The following scripture verses contain the words of Jesus where he says, He cannot be my disciple which confirms the claim that being a committed disciple of Jesus Christ is a mandatory requirement for entry into heaven. So in Luke 14 verse 26, Jesus says, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And in the following verse, Jesus says, And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. In Luke 14, verse 33, Jesus says, 
So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciples. Or disciple. In this, Jesus says that all Christians must be prepared to forsake houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for Christ's namesake, as stated in Matthew 19 verse 29. If these sacrifices are apparent in the Christian life, this means that such Christians are likely to be eligible to enter into God's kingdom if they meet the other requirements also. The fourth part here is each Christian must be prepared to deny himself and take up his cross and follow Jesus, as stated by him in Matthew 16 verse 24. And so Jesus said, To his disciple, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And in John uh, 10 verse 27, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Therefore every Christian must become an obedient sheep of Jesus Christ to be eligible to enter into the kingdom of heaven. The fifth part I have here is that Christians must also be prepared to become a disciple of Jesus Christ in every aspect. This means undertaking intense Bible study so as to understand the many truths contained within the Bible. I term studying the scriptures to indicate that they want to become approved by God as stated by Paul in 2 Timothy 2 verse 15. This is because Jesus requires Christians to strive to enter into God's kingdom, as mentioned by him in Luke 13, verses 23 to 24. Christians must also become as holy as God is holy, that's stated in 1 Peter 1.16. Strive to become as perfect as God the Father is perfect, as stated by Jesus in Matthew 5, verse 48. They must also become a functioning member of Christ's spiritual body of believers on earth, as stated by Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 to 14. Christians must also perform the same miracles and healings as Christ did, as Jesus states clearly in John 14, verse 12. And Christians uh, must bring forth much spiritual fruit under God throughout their Christian lifetime, as stated in John 15 verses 1 to 8 and Matthew 13 verse 23. So in summary then, all true disciples of Jesus Christ may be asked by Jesus to take up their cross, follow Jesus wherever he leads them, be prepared to forsake family, friends, job and everything else for Christ's sake and becoming holy, etc. So the seventh point I have here is a disciple being symbolized by Jesus as a branch becomes spiritually grafted into Jesus the vine so as to enable the required spiritual fruit to be produced by each uh, individual Christian for God the Father to partake of. Now in this Jesus said in John 15 verse 3, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. 
This fruit that God requires to see from Christians are the souls of men, women and children who are lost in Satan's kingdom and won through evangelism into God's kingdom. Jesus said that Christians should win 30 times, 60 times or even 100 times more souls than their own soul in Matthew 13 verse 23. In this, Jesus said to his 12 disciples in exactly the same way he speaks to us today through the Bible. And in Matthew 4 verse 19, he says, And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. My eighth point here is to remain grafted into Jesus. Each Christian is required to keep producing spiritual fruit unto God. Any failure to produce the required fruit brings about his or her removal from God's kingdom. In this, Jesus said, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he, meaning God the Father, as being referred to as the gardener in Scripture, taketh away from Christ for later burning in the lake of fire. So see John 15 verse 2 and 6 to confirm this claim. If you doubt what I say, please read the first eight verses of John 15 several times. Jesus provides very clear warnings to Christians about failing to produce the required amount of spiritual fruit in their lives. And again, each Christian must also take up their personal cross that Jesus Christ has waiting for them. Jesus asked me to bear my cross for him over 30 years ago. Its heavy burden represents Christians, through ignorance of what the scriptures say, to be following Satan's devices that will ultimately lead them all to hell. This is not what Christ wants for them, and it's a very heavy burden for him. And to quote from 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11, Lest Satan should get advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices, But sadly, I find many Christians are ignorant of the way Satan lies and deceives God's people. Part 10 here says, All Christians are required to follow Christ wherever he chooses to lead his people. Jesus wants disciples who are committed to follow him wherever he wants to send them. In the Bible, he sent 70 of his disciples out without a change of garment, without food, and without money. When they returned some considerable time later, he asked them, When I sent you without purse and script and shoes, lacked ye anything? And they said, Nothing. That's from Luke 22 verse 35. This is what Christ wants each Christian to report on when glorifying what Jesus Christ has done for them in their spiritual journey with him. My point 11 here says, Finally, each Christian must be prepared to forsake everything he or she owns on this earth to follow after Christ, as stated in Luke 14, verse 33. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. And uh, in Mark 10, verses 28 to 30, Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, 
There is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake and the gospel's. But he shall receive a hundredfold now, in this time, houses, and brethren, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands, with persecutions, and in the world to come, eternal life. Therefore, the Apostle Paul's gospel of salvation can be briefly summarised as this. It contains, well, the first point is it contains many conditions associated with it, as has been explained here. The second point is that some conditions such as experiencing the new birth, becoming sinless as Christ is sinless, becoming holy and perfect as God the Father is holy and perfect, etc., are mandatory for entry into heaven. Some of the other conditions, such as leaving family members, may not be mandatory for every Christian. Nevertheless, it is always best to plan to accommodate for such events if and when they may arise. My third point here is that these conditions must be obeyed if Christians realistically expect to enter into God's kingdom when they die. And from Romans 10 verse 16 Paul says, but they, meaning today's Christians, have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report. My fourth point here is that Christians must also also be walking in the spirit after their new birth experience, as stated in Romans 8 verse 1 in the King James Bible, if they are not to receive condemnation from God. To quote this scripture, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. And here is the condition, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So note the condition here of not walking spiritually after the flesh, which means walking after a particular religious dogma. Verse 5 says, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. Verse 6, For to be carnally or religiously minded is eternal death in the lake of fire, but to be spiritually minded is the assurance of eternal life with God and the peace that passes understanding, as stated in Philippians 4 verse 7. So I've just quoted Romans 8 verse 1 and verses 5 and 6. Now this ends my message on the conditions that accompany the gospel of salvation that I am convinced forms an integral part of the Apostle Paul's gospel that I have since termed the gospel of initial and final salvation. My next episode will look more closely at the eight stages of initial and final salvation. It will describe in detail what each spiritual growth stage represents, which forms another essential component of Paul's gospel. Christians must appreciate that in the Bible, Paul terms his gospel as my gospel, which he says contains a mystery. He also says that most Christians, even in his day, have failed to obey his gospel, and this situation is much the same today. We will look at this aspect in the next episode also. If the gospel you believe in does not require you to keep obeying it due to the conditions I have just explained, 
I suggest you tune in next week to hear what I have to say. If you have any questions regarding anything stated in this podcast, please add a comment below or write to me at mygospel.info where you will find a contact page from which you can email me. Also, I suggest you replay this message again and this time check out the scripture verses in your Bible that I have used as this is how God speaks to his people. Before you go, please give this podcast a like and please click the follow tab. Please share this podcast with your Christian friends and family and especially with your pastor. Ask him or her to provide you with some detailed comments as to what they think about the, the, thing, the issues raised here. May God bless you for listening to my message today.